0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat TV on the Road. I'm Margaret McSweeney, and we're here in DeSoto at the very famous Tom's Place with the also very famous Chef Lasser Sorensen. So thank you so much, Chef Lasser. You're welcome.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for coming.
0: Well, this is a place of history. Before we jump into the cuisine and we have a lot to chat about, could you share with the listeners and viewers about the history of Tom's Place?
1: Yes, uh, the, the history of Tom's Place, this was a, a rowdy roadhouse back in the day. It was started in 1921 by Tom Ensley. And Tom Ensley got in trouble under prohibition and uh, put him in jail. And But he ran the business successfully from jail uh, through a period of years, and then he came back out, and then he ran for county sheriff and won. (laughs) And uh, then he wanted to get out of the restaurant business and sold it to Joe Maroney. And Joe Maroney, uh, he was an Italian feller, and uh, he was connected with the mafia in Chicago. So this was a halfway point for uh, Al Capone and John Dillinger's operation, uh, in Chicago, so there was a lot of uh, rivaling gangs down here in the 20s, but this place were always left alone because they knew that those were the big guys. You don't want to mess with the big guys. So uh, there is a lot of people that have been killed here, I've been told, and uh, they would push their cars out in the pit. Uh, There's old strip cuts uh, in the back here. And uh, so this was probably a halfway dangerous place back in the 20s but uh when i took the place over uh it was famous for fried frog legs, fried chicken, fried pork, everything fried. and uh i told everybody that uh, i was going to make it into a five-star restaurant and they all laughed and said you'll never make it. and so here we've been here for 20 years now and uh, i think uh, people stop saying that we won't make it.
0: Yes, and I can't wait to talk about your incredible menu. But first, if you could give us a peek into your own culinary history, how did you end up in DeSoto? And if you could tell us a bit about your culinary training as well.
1: Okay. I, uh, I n- was never asked as a kid what I wanted to be. My whole family is in the family uh, in the restaurant business. And uh, my dad is a pastry chef. And he said, well, when you are big enough, you're going to be washing dishes. Then you're going to help in the, in the bakery and the pastry shop. And then when you're old enough, you'll become an apprentice. So I uh, did that and uh, got a very good education through my dad. And then I always wanted to be a chef. And my dad was uh, quite upset that I didn't want to because he thought I had a lot of talent as a pastry chef. But my heart has always been in the, in the kitchen. And, uh, so he was very disappointed, but because of him, I got a job at a Michelangelo restaurant in Copenhagen as an apprentice there. I went there and applied for the job and they told me that uh, there was 300 applicants and I, I probably wouldn't hear from them again. And then I told him who my dad was and then I got the job right away. I kind of tried and wanted to do it on my own, but I realized that it was better to just drop a name if you could. So uh, I ended up going to school for seven years. So I have a master's degree in culinary arts. And uh, then my dream was always to go to the United States. So I got a job at the Riviera Country Club in Pacific Palisades, and uh, they host a PGA tournament. And I got to meet a lot of movie stars out there. It was kind of interesting. Not that they talked to me other than saying they wanted their meat well done, the medium or whatever, but... Uh, it was an interesting uh, time, and uh, then I started working for the Kellogg Foundation, Ooh. and uh, they had uh, 13 restaurants, and I was see- overseeing those restaurants. I had a nice office and a secretary and a lot of days off and made a lot of money, but my heart was still in the kitchen, and all this, uh, uh office jobs were just... Not for me. So after five years I had enough and I tried to talk my wife into to buy a restaurant and we had two options. We could either go to Napa Valley or we could go to uh, DeSoto, Illinois. I had seen a, uh, this restaurant uh, on a fishing trip and uh, my wife is originally from this area and she said that there is no way she was going to move from Newport Beach, California to DeSoto, <laughs> Illinois. So I had to wait another two years and thank God she got tired of her job. And then, uh, I called the restaurant owners and I said, you know, I know I haven't spoken to you for two years, but the restaurant's still for sale. And, and it was. And, uh, we just took the plunge and we came out here and started. It was in 1998. And, uh, we just, little by little, just built on it and built on it and built on it. and we have a solid following now. We have a Wine Spectator Award, and we have a five-star rating now from the uh, a North American Restaurant Association, and uh, we're very proud of that. So that was kind of the short story, but everybody that comes to the restaurant always ask me, well... What are you doing in DeSoto, Illinois, and I always told my I, I was going to Chicago, but I got off at the wrong station so that's the that's the quick story about how I ended up here but uh that said, we love Southern Illinois now, yeah. and uh we're we're used to the pace it's obviously a lot different being a shift down here than in the big city and uh one of the trade offs i had to make with my wife was i promised her i we would never be open on any of the holidays mm-hmm. and we would have two days off so we have religiously done that and uh that's how i could persuade her to come out here and uh you know that's one of the nice things about having a restaurant here that you can you also have time to do other things
0: Yes, and it's beautiful down here. And for those listeners who aren't in the southern Illinois area, it's definitely worth a trip, a delicious destination here. But if we can take a quick step back into your culinary training once Mm -hmm. again. But prior to that, your dad, Mm -hmm. you kind of mentioned him, but could you mention what he was well known for? It's so impressive.
1: Yeah, my my dad is known for uh, being the uh, pastry chef to the royal family in Denmark. And uh, he ran a uh, uh, one of the biggest pastry shops in Europe for many years in Tivoli Gardens, in Copenhagen. Uh, also, uh, uh, he's uh, known for he's made the biggest wedding cake in the world. It's in the Guinness Book of Records. I helped him with that too. Obviously, it's uh, it was a different era when when he was doing all this stuff because not a lot of people anymore use big decorations and big cakes and stuff. That takes a lot of artistic skill to do that. Things have changed a lot now. But, but he was a fantastic craftsman and uh, had a museum about pastries for a long time. And he, unfortunately, he passed away uh, last November. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was always the first thing in his heart was pastries. So uh, uh he would come over here and visit, and uh, he would make these big cake buffets and and all my customers, Newman, my dad was here, and they were like, "When is he coming back? When is he coming back?" Because you know, there were so many pastries here that I normally don't have. And so one sweet. of the interesting things that that you don't realize, uh, two guys like us being in the business together—if we sit at home and watch TV or anything like that—we're we're both not really enjoying it. Hmm. But when we are working together, we we enjoyed it tremendously, and we talked about everything. So that was a uh, that was the great thing about having him coming over here. That is so special.
0: And as the listeners and viewers know, the reason I do kitchen chat is a way to honor my late father, who Mm -hmm. was an incredible gourmet home chef. And my biggest regret in life was not cooking with him in the kitchen and learning how to cook. So 25 years later, I am discovering what his joy of cooking was about. And, And it's just such an honor to to be a part of this and and,
1: you know like uh unfortunately i think a lot of this is getting lost uh my family you know they when i grew up they would let me do just about anything i wanted but i always had to be home for dinner and the weekends we all prepared meals together and ate together and that was something that was uh religiously you could never be late that's somewhat lost today, I think, and, mm-hmm. and cooking good food like that. And it's also healthy food yes. when you prepared yourself. You know, that's something we, we have to really, uh, embrace now and, and try to get, you know, the younger people to understand how important that is. Yes.
0: That is so true. And speaking of great food, once again, your culinary training, could you, mm-hmm. could you share with us about Chef Paul Vucous?
1: Yes. Uh, I, uh, the, the, Restaurant I was trained in the master chef there. His name was Jan Peterson, and he was a fantastic talent. And uh, I was fortunate enough uh, working for him. I figured at three and a half years, I had to. I, I was under contract to stay there. That's how the apprenticeship program is. And uh, the schedule was two days, two days off, and for the most part. I always showed up every single day for those three and a half years because I figured you have such an opportunity. And if if I came in extra, he would show me more. And uh, he really embraced me as a person and treated me like his own son because I put so much into it. And then he was kind enough to introduce me to a lot of famous chefs, and uh, we went to Bocuse d'Or, which is a, a, a big competition in Europe. We went there together and uh, won the uh, prize for the best fish dish there. And uh, he took me to a, a many different Michelin-style restaurants, all three-style restaurants, to kind of get a feeling for how uh, special it is when uh, the food is put in such a high seat that it is in France. And it's very unique to that country. Uh, you know, people that has three-star restaurants there, they're the mayors of the city and they have more power. And, uh, uh I remember, uh, at the Pocus d'Or, the, uh, French president was there, uh, Francois Mitterrand. He was there at the time. And, uh, th- we had a big, uh, dinner for 3,000 people and he would walk in. Nobody paid any attention. Paul Bocuse walked in, everybody was quiet, and he said, bon appétit, and everybody sat down and ate. So that's where the respect lies <laughs> in, in that country. It was very interesting, but, uh, so I, for the most part, try to, uh, teach the people that work for me that, like, the same way. I'm not, you know, one of these European chefs that yells and screams. We, we get a lot of, uh, bad publicity for that, and I, you know, have never believed in yelling at anybody, you know, and everybody makes mistakes, and it's a good thing to make mistakes because you learn how to recover from your mistakes, and that's how I was trained, so that's how I run my kitchen too. And uh, uh, But still, it's extremely hard to find anybody, and, and I don't know if I, it's okay for me to tell you on air now, but I'm looking for an apprentice right now. I have had ads in the paper for three months, and I haven't had one applicant and you should think that, 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 that would be somebody that would come, like to come and work for a chef like me and learn everything about cooking. And, uh, you know, that's very disappointing that, that nobody down here is interested, but it, it it's, it's the commitment that they can't handle, I guess, you know, that you have to work Friday and Saturday night. You're off Sunday and Monday. And then you have to say, you know, basically, yes, sir, no, sir. And you have to be on time. You can't call in sick, <laughs> all those things. And, uh, it's, it's, I would love to teach my craft to, uh, some younger people. And, uh, you know, hopefully something will show up and, uh, and we can get going on it. But, uh, again, you know, uh, back to my education, you know, that was really a, uh, uh, a groundbreaking experience that you were, uh, involved in the, uh, uh, my dad was the highest you can get in the, in the pastry world. And then I worked in this restaurant. There was the best restaurant in, uh, in Scandinavia at the best time, at, at this, at that time. And, uh, it just, you had plenty of opportunity to see the most incredible things. We had people coming in and buy one kilo jars or caviar and, uh, you know, uh, you know, that was not unusual, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, there was a shift uh, where the, there was a, a Saudi king that came in and gave Rolexes to everybody in the kitchen. I mean, it, this was just an error that was unbelievable f- uh, to have experienced, where, you know, you took uh, your heads of salad, you would it, they told us to break half of it off and throw it away, and only use the hearts of everything, because they didn't want any green on the leaves, and uh, it's quite wasteful, but it was an interesting period to see. Where obviously now things have changed, and and now we learn to use cheaper cuts of meat. But but at that time, you know, it was just the best of the best. So I try to take some of the stuff that I that I've remembered and bring it out here. And you should think in Southern Illinois it would be a hard sell. But it really isn't. It's interesting. It's the cheaper dishes on my menu. I have a hard time selling, and the most expensive dishes, like uh we sell a Kobe ribeye for seventy-five dollars, and we sell a lot of it. And we have aged steaks, sixty-day aged steaks, thirty-day aged steak. We sell a lot of them. That's the that's the really our business, you know. And people come from Chicago, St. Louis. From far away. And I always refer to uh, Southern Illinois as a, a culinary desert. But we are an oasis in the desert. So most people that come here, they can't believe the stuff that we actually do here. And we try to do a, you know, a lot of special things that you don't see. Like all last week, we, we had flown in Dover Soul and, uh, you know, it was just flying off the shelf as fast as we could make them and uh live lobsters and i mean we do all those things you you would think that we couldn't sell here but we 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 do. Oh
0: this is terrific and i'm going to provide a link listeners to this restaurant but if we can also chat about i mean when i heard this my heart just melted that mm. you were one of the chefs with Babette's Feast. Yes. And i just have to share with you all listeners and viewers and with you chef that movie, about Feast, was the very first date my now husband mm-hmm. and i went on we oh, both wow. lived in new york city so i've always just had such uh, a love in my heart for babette's feast and it was such a beautiful movie yeah. can you share with us what that experience was like and if you could help me remember what was on the menu and do you feature any of that here
1: uh you know it, it's uh, uh that movie has opened so many doors for me and that's actually the real reason why i came to the united states in the first place the uh producer of the movie is danish or was danish he's passed away now but he was a producer in hollywood and uh, he wanted to open a restaurant in los angeles called babette's feast because the movie uh, was a low budget movie and it sold to every country in the world and he made a ton of money so like many other people that made a ton of money they want to have a restaurant so they can (laughs) lose some he wanted to open a restaurant and uh He took uh, Jan Peterson, who trained me, and I. We were supposed to come over here with a whole crew of chefs. And uh, it was in uh, 1989, and then the recession hit, and they pulled the plug on the project, and everybody went home, and uh, I decided to stay. But uh, the menu, uh, the reason why I did so much work on the menu, as opposed to any other chefs, was... The fact that I was a pastry chef, because the star of the movie didn't like anything, so I actually had to make uh, Eska go out and pan and so when all of the some of the food that she eats in the movie is made out of pastries because she didn't <laughs> want to eat any of it, so it was it, that movie is you know it's in my heart and and uh, the menu is a fantastic menu, and uh, uh, the producer wanted to make an English version of it. And uh, he actually casted Meryl Streep and Marlon Brando. And then uh, he passed away, Sutton uh, passed away. But uh, there is uh, copyright on the movie now. There wasn't uh, in the beginning, but uh, there were so many people that that copied the menu. And you've seen it everywhere in the United States, too. and, And he just never thought of copywriting it in the beginning because we he, I guess he didn't expect it to go as far as it did, and uh so they copyrighted it with me having rights to make the menu in the United States, mm-hmm. and Mr. Peterson has the rights to make the menu in in europe so uh we are tinkering with the idea of maybe uh him coming over here and uh if there was a fundraising organization or anything like that that would fly him over here. And we've talked to several people about it, and uh then it would be a fun thing to do together. And I have had made the menu here one time, and I had a packed house from all over the United States because now it's copyrighted. Yeah. So I made the original menu here. uh I think I had about 200 people, and that's about the max of what I can handle here. And it was very successful. But it, it, it's a great menu, and it's a great story, and... uh there's a lot of things to learn in the movie, uh, about uh, food. So, uh, and about people. So it, it was a, g- a great experience. And, uh, you know, it took maybe, uh, three or four months where we were out there in the studios. It was all done in, uh, in the studios, all the food, uh, in Copenhagen. And, uh, you know, uh, it was just an incredible experience.
0: And definitely check out Babette's Feast if you've never seen that. It's just – it warms your heart. It's about the love of food and the passion for food and sharing it with the community. You're right. Mm. There's just so many great lessons. But this was so interesting to learn that you made the escargot from marzipan. (laughs) How do you do that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, my dad taught me to make anything out of – to look at, you know, to – whatever you can dream up, we can make a cake that looks like that or a pastry that looks like that. You know, he was very artistic. So, uh, you know, I had no problem making things, uh, you know, that everybody would eat. So, But uh, another funny story about uh, Babette's Feast is we ran the menu at the restaurant mm-hmm. at the time where I was an apprentice, and um, the restaurant was called La Cocotte. So the chef there, you know, it's a very intricate way that you have to cut a quail out and then stuff it with four grand truffles. And then you put it in a, in a coffin, they called it, of puff pastry. Wow. Uh, and, uh, so he said, well, let's have a competition. There'll be a small price to win for who can debone a, 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 a quail the fastest. So obviously I'm up for it and I by far, Outdo everybody else, not knowing that this was a setup because guess who deboned every quail that didn't that restaurant from here on out? So that was kind of a bitter, sweet uh, <laughs> victory, but, but uh, I can definitely do that.
0: That is impressive. Now, what have your personal lessons been along your culinary journey?
1: Well, you know, uh, one of the 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 things that I have changed a lot since I come out here is that you, that uh, you know I was from uh, a European restaurant, cutting edge cuisine, and uh, I was fortunate enough to get a job at uh, a big uh, restaurant in uh, Newport Beach called John Dominus. That was a Hawaiian restaurant of all, and uh, how that all went about was because the owner of the restaurant. Uh, used to work at Scandia that was he was a general manager from Scandia in Los Angeles and had a lot of experience with Danish chefs and the fish that how we cook fish so many different types of fish it kind of goes hand in hand with Hawaiian cuisine who has a lot of fish in it and uh so this restaurant I worked at was a fantastic restaurant and I mean just fresh fish all the time Hawaiian fish. And I learned so much there in a short time. It was a very busy place. And uh, uh, so that kind of shaped my career because he was teaching me that one of the things you need to understand, he said, coming to America versus a European, the European chefs are, are very, very good at what they're doing, but they're not good businessmen and they can't make any money. They will spend five hours preparing one Dover Soul, And that you can't make any money doing that. So he taught me how to make money. And I'm very uh, happy because that kind of shaped my career that I learned that, you know, you have to have uh, skills in both departments. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to make money and then uh, you have to improve uh, the product you're trying to sell in a way that it it becomes profitable. And uh, coming to Southern Illinois for the first time in the beginning, I was like nobody here had wanted to eat any raw fish and i did so much raw fish so i had to change that and uh, everybody wanted their meat well done and uh, you know they weren't eating any uh, hawaiian fish either that if, if it wasn't something that was caught around here they <laughs> they didn't want it but that has really changed in the beginning i struggled with that and i have slowly but surely changed the customers that came here and i said you know what i would like you to try this and uh, if you don't like it, you don't have to pay for it and uh now there is uh hardly any of my customers that don't want to eat anything that I do, so I'm happy that I provided some kind of education for some people out here to to get them accustomed to eating other things at the same thing all the time so nice. but it took a long time it took about you know ten years to turn it into What it is today, you know, before it got momentum because Mm -hmm. in the beginning it was just steak and potatoes, steak and potatoes. But I had to do that to make it. True. So it's been a journey, but, but uh, you know, there is a light in the end of the tunnel for anybody who's trying to do what I (laughs) did, so...
0: And an opportunity to be an apprentice, so yes. we're definitely gonna get this word out even further because what an honor mm-hmm. and an opportunity to be an apprentice in yeah, your kitchen and, and,
1: and you know one of the things about working in a small place like mine versus working in a big hotel is that you you get to see everything and you learn everything yes. and uh, there's so much more teamwork here too because it's a small group of people, and we all have to get along and and uh you know. Every apprentice I've had here is now an executive chef in a great restaurant somewhere. So this is a great stepping stone for anybody because the network of people in the United States is also such that, that they know if they've been here with me for, and they lasted under my reign for three and a half years, they, they have what it takes. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's the best stamp of approval, you know, uh, you know, it's important, of course, to have a formal education too. But you know, an apprenticeship uh, in hand with uh, culinary education from a school is is the way to go, and because you really learn everything you have to learn to make it.
0: Yes, for sure. And what about for the home chef? So, mm-hmm. what are some takeaways for those listeners who aren't professional chefs mm-hmm. but just make home dishes? What advice would you have?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, it's funny because m- when I met my wife, she she thought of herself being a great home cook. And obviously I had to tread the waters very careful <laughs> when I, uh, uh, you know, criticized in any shape or form. And she actually does most of the cooking at home. And I just sit and watch her and, and try not to criticize too much. <laughs> But, uh, one of the things that I always try to explain to people that cook at home is that when you follow a recipe, you know, like my wife wanted to follow the recipe to the T. There is no, uh, you know, uh, changing anything on the recipe. You couldn't stray from it, which you have to understand with food. There is a lot of flexibility in the product you're using. So therefore, you know, if you follow the recipe, sometimes it doesn't come out right because You have to be flexible with the, with the, uh, uh, materials you're using. So flexibility is, is very important. And then obviously being able to taste your food, learn to taste the food and see what it needs. That's what most home cooks lack is taste the food because they read the recipe and say, okay, it needs half a tablespoon of salt and this, but everything. There are so many variables. That you really need to taste it and say, "Okay, it needs a little more acidity, it needs a little more salt," and it makes uh, the world of a difference in the end. So uh, that is my advice. You know, be flexible and 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 taste the food, even though it didn't say that in the recipe. You know, learn that okay, it needs uh, some sweetness or it needs some vinegar, or whatever, in there. Yes,
0: great advice from. A fabulous chef such as you, I will take that home with me. Now, speaking of taste and deliciousness, what is on your menu recently? Have you added anything, and is there still a signature dish?
1: Well, how this restaurant is set up is I have a, a menu that that is basically consistent with the fact that those are things that people want every time they come here. So that is all my classic items on the menu. And then we have about 20 specials every day. And uh that varies with the season, you know, uh uh like last week we had Dover sole and uh, uh live lobsters and uh this week we have uh scallops, oysters, uh fresh mussels and uh, uh we have uh fresh grouper, Florida grouper this week and and we try to do something with that. And so that will change all the time, and and like a week from now, we are into soft-shell crab season, so we're going to do a lot of that. And then uh, another week past that, we have the biggest event here we have once a year, uh, which is our annual morel dinner. Southern Illinois is uh, abundant with morels, and I already have about 30 pounds. I need about a 100 pounds for the event. And uh, that is a big deal down here. And uh, I sell uh, about 100 tickets for the event every year. I, I don't want to do any more. And then it's a six-course meal that has morels in all of the um, dishes. Wow.
0: And morel is a, a mushroom. mushroom. And yeah. how does that compare to truffles? What is the variety?
1: Well, I mean, uh, morels are, you know, uh, they they pop up. Uh, unlike truffles are in the ground but okay. but uh, uh both uh, uh, very valuable mushroom morels are very very expensive to buy so it's uh, a very unique opportunity in the next couple of weeks in southern Illinois you can buy them here a lot cheaper than you can in any of the big cities because they're very priced uh, processions in, in big cities too and uh, they're everywhere down here in southern Illinois so we kind of make a celebration out of it Mm -hmm. if you could say that uh every year and it's 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 a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun over the years to make that menu and my dad actually uh created a uh a special tiramisu with morels in it for uh, he came over one year and helped me with 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 that and that was uh, a big success and uh joe mcfarlane who's a mushroom expert he wrote a book about mushrooms in southern illinois and uh, there is some wonderful recipes in that book, and there is pictures of the tiramisu, and there is pictures of of uh, several of my dishes in there. So that would be an interesting book for anybody who is interested in picking mushrooms and cooking mushrooms. Yes. So,
0: oh, that just sounds like an incredible yeah. celebration! And, and
1: morels are just such a, a wonderful flavor to work with, and and the, you can imagine the flexibility you have to have and the challenge it is to. Uh, make uh six dishes including the dessert uh, with morels and uh, some years it's been tough because if it's a bad season mm-hmm. and there's not very many morels it, it was a losing proposition on our part mm-hmm. and you were like well why would you sell anything in advance you know but <laughs> but uh, we've always uh, managed to make it so it, it uh it, it, i think it's on april 27th this year it's always the last wednesday of april
0: And have you revealed your menu yet?
1: I'm still working on it. Uh, It's almost, almost done. So
0: this sounds just incredible, chef. And any other final words of wisdom or fun memories of your culinary journey that you'd like to share?
1: you know i could we could sit here and talk all day long because you know like i have so many memories i've been in a lot of places in the world and cooked with a lot of great chefs and uh, you know i i hope that i can uh, uh, find somebody that would embrace what what i've learned and like i said you know, get people more involved in cooking and, and, uh, you know, celebrating food because with all this turmoil in the world, you know, we can all agree about food and wine and, uh, you know, break bread with anybody at any religion. So I think that this is something that we really need to embrace more than we do.
0: That is so well said, and the kitchen is the heart of the home, but I always like to say it's the heart of the world. It is. And food is a yeah. universal language.
1: It, it, absolutely, yes. absolutely.
0: Oh, and everyone, please come visit yes, please Chef Lasser here in DeSoto at Tom's Place. I'll leave a link and let me know if you're at the Morel. That just sounds like a fun celebration. And thank you so much. Oh, thank you very
1: much. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. We we don't get anybody, any celebrities down here like you, so thank you very much for coming.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, you're very kind. Thank you. And listeners and viewers, thank you, because this is all about sharing the journey, and i love to hear from you. Please visit me on Facebook, Kitchen Chat, also in my virtual kitchen, which is kitchenchat.info, and always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Mm.